Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Thank you very much. You guys may have a seat. Welcome this morning. We are so thankful that you're here. And if you are a visitor, thank you for joining us this morning to to worship our God and to think about him and learn about him. Uh, If you weren't here last week, my name's Ryan Eagy. I'm a partner here at Rev, and I have the joy of getting to preach through the same passage two weeks in a row and look at different aspects of it. Uh, We're going to pray that what happened first service to me didn't happen. Don't you love technology? Like, technology helps us. We all can sing the same words. We can hear the band really well. You can hear me good no matter if you're in that really back row. And that stuff comes, that stuff goes. And then you have the technology stuff you're just not ready for. Like you turn your phone off, you don't even bring it up with you. You you make sure your iPad's all good, it's all good to go. And then you forget that your kids can still call through all those things. And so your arm starts buzzing at three quarters of the way through your sermon. And for the first time in your life, it scares you. Like I I think I visibly, if there was a video of it, I think I kind of had a shocking moment there in the first service. And so we're going to pray that that doesn't happen this service. But I, I just want to say I'm thankful to be here. And I am thankful that we're talking about joy in Jesus. You see, as we look at Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, we started last week and, and we talked and focused in on this one main idea first, joy in Jesus. That, that's what we wanted to see primarily. And, and look, at my passage again, look at our passage again with me. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. This is what he says. The author of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight, and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, last week we focused in primarily on the last section of this passage, talking about looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And we focused down even more to really this phrase, looking to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him. And we took time last week to look all through scripture and see how Jesus truly was the most joyful human being you would have ever met. And Jesus, as the God-man, embodied joy no different than he embodied love, grace, forgiveness. You know, Jesus was and is supremely joyful. And as we look at a life of Jesus being joyful, we can see in Scripture two main objects of his affection, of his joy. And we saw that these were them, that Jesus' joy was first and foremost in knowing and being known and loved by God the Father. Right? And his second, Jesus' joy was in seeing others, seeing others like you and me enter into that same joy of knowing and being known and loved by God our Father. And we looked at how it's exactly that joy, Jesus' joy, that we are called to enter into with him. We are called to find our joy in the same joy that Jesus has. It's a joy that delights in being known by God, walking in right relationship with him, and then sharing that outwardly with others. And amazingly, that joy is not something that we work to make happen in our life. We, we get to rest in the fact that Jesus has done everything necessary 
for us to enter into that joy. You know, Jesus, he died our sinner's death on the cross. He walked the righteous life that you and I would never be able to do, that we might be reconciled to God, but also that he might give us joy. And we looked last week at passages in scripture that say that exact thing. John 15, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Or in John 17, Jesus says, but now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. It's through scripture, through the very words of God that we come first and foremost to this joy. It's how we see again and again throughout scripture how God loves us, how he has been patient with us, how he has worked at great cost to himself that we might come into his joy. And then we find out from Jesus that it's not only through his words, but he sends his very spirit that he might indwell within us. And when Paul talks about that experience of the spirit, here's what he says in Romans 15. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. It's the spirit, it's it's Jesus's very spirit, the spirit of God that is in us, that rouses us to joy in Jesus in our hearts that we might both partake and participate with Jesus in his joy. You know, I invited us last week to come to this, to come to join in Jesus's joy. Because we so rarely think about joy, and we so rarely understand what the writer of Hebrews here is, is begging us to come to, that joy is foundational to who we are as Christians. You know, we must find our deepest, most sincere joy in our relationship with God and seeing others come into that same relationship. And I pray that between last week and this week, you had a chance to do what I encourage you to do, which was just to rest in that. To come before a God who's invited you into his joy, has done all the work necessary that you can have that joy and be thankful for it. You know, we start this week, uh, sorry, we started there last week because the writer of Hebrews says that this joy is key to walking through all of our life with sins and trials and weights and burdens. And this is what he said. He said, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, and as we talked about last week, primarily at his joy. And so this week, we want to tackle the rest of this statement in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. And we want to see how it is that our knowing God and being known and loved by him, how, how our participating with him and seeing others come to know him and be loved, how that is key in our struggles. You know, first of all, how it is key in our struggle with our own sin and the suffering that accompanies our sin. And as well, number two, how our joy in Jesus, our joy in the Father is key for our struggle with the suffering that happens to us regardless of our sins. Would you pray with me as we tackle suffering this morning? Father God, we know that suffering is here. We know that it exists and we know that it is hard. Lord God, would you help us to see your joy, your joy in fellowship with yourself in the Trinity, your joy in coming to walk amongst us, your joy even through the cross, Lord God. And would we find that in that joy, we can join and join with you in it and find that it is more than sufficient for everything that you've called us for here today. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, to start with, when we look at this passage, I want you to notice one thing. 
the author just assumes that sin, difficulty, trials and tribulations, that they are just going to be there. He doesn't start with a phrase like this. You know, if by chance you ever happen to run into sin and difficulties, here maybe is what you might want to think about. You know, he just states clearly, hey, lay aside the weights, lay aside the sins. Look to the joy of Jesus. You know, the author of Hebrews, like the rest of scripture, is very blunt about the topics of sin and suffering. You know, all of scripture presents sin, difficulty, and suffering as there. And is very painful and hard. You know, we've, we've actually got to see that and walk through that idea of sin as we've walked with Pastor Bren through Genesis and looking at the life of Jacob and Joseph. I mean, we've seen how the sin that Jacob has in favoring one son more than the others brings pain and hurt to his whole family. Uh, we see how Joseph in his pride in being favored causes real consternation, grief, struggle for his siblings in that dynamic. And then we see his, his siblings just heap a whole bunch of sin on Joseph when they throw him in a pit, they sell him into slavery, and then they insinuate to their father that he's died. We see when, when Joseph gets to Egypt, we see Potiphar's wife in her sin, wanting to have what she can't have. And then when she can't get it, lying in sin and getting Joseph thrown in jail. You know, we see even maybe unintentional sins by like the cupbearer who tells Joseph he's going to remember him and doesn't remember him right away. And so Joseph stays in jail longer. We see in the background sins like Judah and Tamar, where Judah doesn't love and care for his daughter-in-law rightly. And there is just a whole mess of sin and suffering in their lives. Now, when we look at scripture from Genesis to the end, life after life, and then when we look at our own life, the people around us, everywhere, we see that people struggle under sin, under the weight of the difficulties in their life and how that can bring suffering. You know, Paul, Paul talks about it in Romans this way. Paul says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And he talks about the whole of creation here. Often when we come to this section of Romans 5, we're thinking about it in contrast to the beauty of the garden and how things were meant to be, how we were meant to walk rightly with our Lord, our God. But notice he does say all creation, you, me, our neighbors. Yes, this is about the birds and trees, but it's also about all of us and how we all are under sin. Everything groans under sin. Everything is suffering under sin. And the image that Paul gives here is childbirth. Now, I've had front row seats that experience six times in my life. And my wife has been an amazing trooper. She gave birth to six children in six years. There is nothing but praise for that. In fact, when I think about this analogy that Paul gives out, I think he's actually being quite kind and light to call that experience full of groanings. I think it's a little more than groanings, at least from the experiences I've been in and from talking to others. And yet that's what he's trying to get us to see is our experience with sin. If you think about your imagery of what occurs in childbirth and the difficulty and the laboring of what's going on, we experience that kind of pain, that kind of suffering. You know, we all walk in the weight of this world and sin through much groaning, through much pain. And sin and suffering is everywhere. 
You know, it may be the results of your own sins, the way that you sin and you cause brokenness in your life and with the life of those around you. It may be the result of someone else's sin coming into your life and pressing against you. And it may just be the result of sin that comes from our broken existence here. You know, we see mentions of things like that here in Romans 8. We talked about it last week, how Hebrews 11, leading right up to our passage, is talking about the great heroes of the faith, people who, who Old Testament brothers and sisters who walked in faith of a future Messiah, not only in the good things that God had called them to, but also through many hard struggles and difficulties, trusting in a future Messiah that would deal with that for them. If we look even about Jesus, looking back here in Hebrews 12, 3, immediately after our passage, here's what it says. It says, consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You know, Jesus, though he never in and of himself struggled with sin as though he sinned, he still struggled against sin. Right? We see in Hebrews 4 earlier, it says that Jesus struggled against temptation. And we see here that Jesus is struggling against the sin of the world that came against him. You and I, we will struggle against sin, both our own and from the outside. We will all have and we will feel pain and suffering that comes from sin. And when the author of of Hebrews here tells us to lay aside every weight and sin, He's most directly talking about the sin that we ourselves commit, the sin and the burdens that we heap upon ourselves. You know, we are called to actively fight sin in our life. We're to take that sin that clings so close and to put away it from us, to get rid of the weight that we want to carry around that is not what God is asking us to live under, wrong theologies, idols that we want to continue to worship in our lives. And to run a race, run the race called life, to live the way God has called us to live. The imagery here is to take off clothing and to set it aside. You know, the direct imagery he gives here is also like a weight. Who picks up extra weight and goes for a long run unless you're in the military and they're trying to enforce that on you? No one thinks that's fun. Set it aside. Run well in what you've been asked to do. You know, few of us as Christians would argue that that's not true. You know, as Christians, we all believe that we need to fight against our sin, fight against the weights that we've picked up, the extra laws and requirements that we pile on ourselves that God clearly says we don't need to walk in daily. And it makes sense that we might feel that struggle against our sin, feel that struggle against the weights that we want to pick back up again as difficult that we might feel it as suffering, that we might feel it as hard. And we usually feel like that's sort of right. You know, sometimes we might even go as far as saying, like Peter says, you know, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? Like, yeah, of course, I expect it. We, we all have lived out this dynamic in life long enough that we, we expect that with, with, with the difficulties, with sin, oftentimes comes discipline to try to correct it. To, to try to make it to make it right, to make it make us grow. In fact, all of us here have been children at one point. You might still be a child. And so you're very familiar with this, this feeling of parents who look to you, who, who tell you how you should act, and then might give you discipline to help you. And in fact, that's exactly where the writer of Hebrews goes. Right after Hebrews 12:3 here, this is what he says. He says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. 
And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when he reproves you. Or when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son or daughter is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are an illegitimate child and not sons or daughters. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Struggle against our sin, struggle even to the point of blood. Obviously the imagery there is Jesus going to the cross, but it's also Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane knowing what was to come upon him, praying and drops of sweat like blood coming off of his forehead. Struggle against sin, yet don't get it backwards. Don't make your struggle against sin about your performance. Your struggle against sin particularly your struggle against your own sin and the way that it hurts you and hurts others around you, your proclivity to carry weight is not fought through the law, but it's fought through your identity. You notice again the imagery that is in this passage. It's about our sonship. It's about our daughterhood. It's about our adoption in the Lord. He's reminding us that even in the difficulty of sin and suffering, that we are meant to come back again, not to trying harder, not to doing more, but to our loving relationship with our God. He says right here, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son or daughter whom he receives. The discipline, the struggle, the weights, the difficulty that we experience when we push against that, when we try to lay it aside, is actually part of the process of knowing that our God loves us and that he disciplines us because we are a son and a daughter. It says right here in the passage that we would be illegitimate if we didn't experience that. You know, when we are struggling to run under the weight of our sin, when we struggle to come, uh, when we struggle with the outcomes of our sinful life, we are not to run back to a law that says, perform more, do better, be good. Rather, we are to come to a father who says to you, who says to me, you are beloved son and daughter. Rest in your father's love that Christ purchased for you. Walk in the identity he has given you now, not in your sin nature. We come back to the joy Jesus has with the father and that we can have as well with God in Jesus to live out of the joy that we have in the Father, not to try to earn it. You know, I think for many of us, this would be a very transformational way of handling our sin. If we were to actually be able to live it out. You know, I think it's one of the biggest struggles that that I have. It's one of the biggest struggles I know so many Christians have to really believe that we are a new creation and that we can rest in the work that God has done and live out of the joy that he has for us. Live out of the relationship that he has brought us back into at great cost through Jesus Christ, rather than trying to earn that joy. Of course, there will still be a change in how we live. 
There will be a change in what our life looks like. But one comes from the joyful acceptance of who we are, where the other one tries to fight our way into the good grace of God, where he's already given it to us in Jesus Christ. You know, I am guessing that for each of us, there are ways today that we are still trying to fight to prove to God, to prove to others that we are good enough. We come to this laying aside, we come to this casting off with wanting to prove our merit, that we're really good enough for God to have chosen us. We don't trust that it's through his word, that it's through his spirit, that it's through our very relationship that that change will take place. You know, C.S. Lewis has an analogy where he says that, that our real problem is not that we love things too much, but that we love too little and that we don't love the right thing enough. That's what we're being told here in Hebrews. We're being told here in Hebrews 12 that we need to love, we need to find our joy in our relationship with God and live out of that. Not take the weak things that we've got to offer for ourselves, that we walk in daily. We need to know this true joy that we can live the life that God has destined us to live in him as image bearers, as priests and priestesses to our most high God. And yet I'm guessing that some of you this morning are feeling a bit of a tension. You might be well aware of of the struggle that you have with sin, the suffering that comes with it, the difficulties and trials that you walk in with that, but you also might be thinking of other suffering that you have in your life. You might be asking questions like, how can a genetic disease directly connect to my personal sin? The answer is it doesn't. You might be wondering, wait, how do I deal with sin that comes against me from other people in my life, from just the the general brokenness of sin? How is that connected with my personal sin? And the answer is, it's not. You know, life's not so neat that we can draw direct lines from every single sin that we've caused in our life to a suffering that we have. In fact, as I look at Scripture, I can see no direct correlation between the amount you sin with the amount you suffer. That's what was so frustrating to some of the writers of the Old Testament. You get, you get writers of Psalms like Asaph and Psalm 73, and you get people like the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes who all notice that people who do righteousness and good are suffering for seemingly no reason. And you get people who have done horrible things who do not seem to suffer and do fine. I mean, just look at Jesus for an example. Jesus perfectly set aside sin. He never walked in any untrue belief. He never placed himself under any sort of law that he didn't have to. And yet, he still went to the cross. He was scorned. He was despised. He suffered. He was rejected. Suffering still happened to him. And he endured the cross through this same joy. He endured it through the joy he had in the relationship with his father and the joy in bringing others into that relationship with him. I mean, look what the author of Hebrews said just a little bit before in Hebrews 5. He says, In the day of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus, even though he never sinned, learned obedience through what he suffered. It drew him closer to his father. It strengthened his relationship. You know, Jesus experiences that, or a little bit earlier in Hebrews 2, look what he says. But we see him who, for a little while, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. 
so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus was crowned with grace and honor and glory, seated at the right hand of the Father in power forever and ever, from today until eternity, because he suffered. Because that was a reality for him. You know, this is the other side of our concern that I think Hebrews 12 speaks to. It directly speaks to, first and foremost, the sins that we ourselves commit, the weights that we place on that were set aside. But it's this same joy that speaks to the kind of suffering that we experience that isn't directly connected to our actions. The kind of suffering that comes about from other sinners, from other brokenness. You you and I, we deserve discipline because of our sin. And we can find joy both to endure through that, knowing that it's a loving Father who's drawing us to himself. And yet Jesus didn't deserve punishment. And you also might, in that same sense, not deserve suffering that comes against you. And God will use that to draw you closer to him. That you might know him more, that you might treasure him more, that you might trust him more because of it, that you might see more fully the joy that you have in that relationship with him. And that can seem like a hard word when you're sitting in the midst of a suffering today. But I want you to see what God says through his word to us. He says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. He says, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comp- comparison. And then Romans 5 says this. It says, therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith to this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope, the joy, the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Trials, tribulations, sufferings, all things that come about because of sin, they are preparing us much like Christ was prepared. It is growing us closer to God. And like Paul says here in Romans 5, it produces endurance, which produces character, which produces hope. The same hope we have in Jesus Christ in knowing the joy of being in relationship with our Father is far greater than any momentary affliction. You know, the main challenge for us in the midst of things being so dark and so difficult is can we really believe this with Romans 8? If God is for us, who or what, what sin, what suffering could be against us? If God is your good Father who is fighting for you, what can take you away from that? And again, I know the bigger difficulty is that we want to believe that, and yet we sit under a suffering at times that seems so hard. We can see no connection to goodness. We can see no end in sight anyway, anytime soon. And so the real question becomes, can you believe this about God? That even if you don't understand it, what is impossible with man is possible with God. That what you and I could never imagine could happen, that God himself could do. We've become too used to the storyline, I think. We see stories like Jesus, and we don't wonder anymore, how could God possibly use that? How could God possibly bring anything good out of the cross, out of suffering? You know, amazingly, 
Suffering is one of those ways that we can do that second joy. You know, if, that, if the first joy is ourselves enjoying our relationship with God, suffering is one of those ways we can help others step into enjoying their God. You know, whether it's suffering that comes because of our own sin, whether it's the suffering that comes from the world outside of us or against us, look what Paul says in Colossians. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body. That is the church. That almost sounds like heresy. How can Paul do something that Jesus isn't doing for people? Right? But the reality is it's true. You and I don't get to walk around seeing Jesus engage with suffering day by day. We don't get to see his joyful countenance as he delights in being in right relationship with the Father. And we don't get to see him in his sufferings continue to point back to that hope. Point back to that joy as the only source of joy, the joy of a thousand sons against a little match of joy before suffering. We get a chance to give people, however small, however meek, however meager, a glimpse of our joyful God as being far more lovely than the momentary passing affliction that we face. That's why even in suffering, even in trials and tribulations, our sin, our difficulty of putting it aside, we are called to join in Jesus' joy. We are called to enjoy our relationship with our God and know that it's key to enduring the difficulties of fighting our own sin, of fighting against the, the different idols that we pack upon ourselves. And it rightly orients us in our identity as a beloved son, as a beloved daughter, whose father is joyful over them. You know, finding our joy in Jesus means that we no longer listen to the call of the law that says, do and be loved. And instead, we run to a good father who says, you are loved. Now do and live the life that I've given you. You know, when we suffer because of the sins of others or the sins of this world, we can lean into that same relationship with our God. No different than Jesus, who though he was perfect, suffered to grow in his love of the father as well. And know that we can point others to this amazing God we have through our suffering and the hope that we proclaim throughout it. That can sound hard. And so I want to give you the same encouragement that the writer of Hebrews gives, which is this, endure. We see that word again and again as we read through this section of Hebrews 12. He says, endure, run with endurance, do not grow weary. We need to remind ourselves And we need to remind others that we are in a race, a longer race than any you've ever seen before. It takes years, decades at times, and it's hard, right? I fear that more often than not, we think our major goal for other people is to remind them how they're failing at this. Yes, it's true. We have coworkers, we have children, we have parents, we have spouses whom we are very acutely aware of our sins as we bump into one another, and we need to share that with each other. But more often than not, what we need to be reminded of is our endurance. Endure this race looking to our joy in Jesus. And I think there's two specific ways we can do that. One, endure by weeping with those who weep. Part of coming alongside others in their suffering, whether it's from their own sin or whether it's because of the sin of others or the brokenness of life, is knowing how to weep with those who are in the middle of weeping. Can you just sit and lament the pain and the horror of sin and what it does to break us? 
Can, can you avoid the temptation that Job's friends felt to have to describe it away, to find the real issue behind it all? We need to learn to pray with one another that our God would come and decisively end this all. Come in ultimate joy that we might weep no longer. And we need to endure by being patient with the process. When we look at scripture and we see how scripture describes our sorrow mixed with our joy, we really see three different pictures. The first one is it talks about sorrow first that is followed by joy. We get examples like this, Psalm 30, that says, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. We see the same thing in places like Psalm 126, John 16, 20. You know, sometimes we have to go through a season of sadness and difficulty and suffering that seems dark before the morning feels like it finally comes. That's okay. That's a real experience you might need to go through. And one of our prayers is, as we have those experiences, as God grows us in our dependence on him and his joy and his goodness, that it might not just be that dichotomous where we experience darkness and then light, but rather we somehow begin to experience those two intermingled at the same time. Look what Paul says. Paul says this about himself, that he's sorrowful yet always rejoicing, that he's rejoicing in the middle of suffering. We want to pray that God somehow begins to move us, that even though we're in the midst of that difficulty, we can be reminded both by those outside of us in community, by the Holy Spirit, by his very word as we come to it, of the amazing joy that we still have despite all the suffering, despite all the difficulties and tribulations, despite how our sin hurts and affects us and others. And we remember both of those two because we're, we're really praying for the third version. We really want to see that last one happen. Not just darkness with light afterwards, not just the commingling of dawn, but the full glory of day when Jesus Christ comes again riding on the clouds and we get to see sin and trials and suffering wiped away. Like Romans 21, or Revelation 21 says, says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So endure. Endure while looking to the joy of Jesus and entering into that relationship with him through Jesus Christ. You know, this morning as we come to communion, I want to give you a chance to do just that. You know, as the band comes up here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay up here and, and we're going to just spend a couple minutes and let you sit in the joy of your God. Right? Whether you had a chance to do that next week or not, I'm sure you are sitting here today thinking of one or more different versions of sin and suffering. It might be the sin that you yourself have committed and how it's hurt you and hurt those around you. It might be the sin that others have committed against you and the ways that you are feeling oppressed and underneath it today. Or it may even just be the general brokenness that we all live in with fallen bodies in a world that just doesn't work the way that it should. Whether you're feeling one of those or two of those or all three of those, I want to give you an opportunity to come this morning as you prepare your hearts for communion and sit before a God who simply invites you to come in, in Jesus Christ. To see and know yourself as enjoyed by God and know that he's calling you to enjoy him. Right? If you're here this morning and you're not yet a believer, I want to encourage you, don't just come to a symbol communion with us when we're done with this. Rather, come to the first time Come to the first time to a God who is begging you as a beloved son, as a beloved daughter, to enter into joy and relationship with him through Jesus Christ and everything that he did for you.
We're going to pause. I'm going to give you a second here just to be before your God, to know his joy in you. I'm going to pray. After that, we'll sing a song, and then you can come up and take the elements. Please hold them. We'll take them together after the song is finished. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.